Praise the Lord for that great update. Keep praying for your missionaries, folks. It's so very important. Now, open your Bible, please, to the book of Revelation, and we are in chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I'd like to do a quick little review here for you. In chapter 14, we will be dealing with verses 14 to 20 tonight. But I want to do a quick little review on the first 13 verses. And I have a few uh, PowerPoint pictures to show you. And before we get into the study, let's bow for prayer. Loving Father, please help us all to understand the book of Revelation. Help us, Father, that we not only understand it, but that we grow in faith and love for you and obedience. Lord, bless your people, I pray, everyone who's watching. And I pray, Father, for those who will, uh, at a later date, tune in and, and watch the, the broadcast. Father, please bless the people. Reveal yourself to each and every one. Now have thine own way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, <laughs> what a world we live in, I think you'd agree. And so we have a little photo here that shows a picture of the world next to mankind. And it really needs no commentary. It sort of says it all. Now, we believe that we're living in the last of the last days and we will be uh, experiencing more and more chaos as things fall apart. Uh, all around us, the pandemic that we're experiencing may well be part of the chaos and the falling apart. But also, there is coming the seven-year tribulation and the Antichrist will be revealed. We don't know who it is. I don't think it's this fellow in the picture here, but it just kind of gives you an idea. The Antichrist will step up to bat and lead the world. After three and a half years, um, he will be killed, he'll be come, come back to life, and he'll impose the mark of the beast. And that's the 666 on the forehead or on the back of the right hand. There's so much speculation about this. Uh, people think that it's some sort of hidden computer chip, but I disagree. I think that the purpose of the 666 is to show public allegiance with the Antichrist. And you can't do that with an invisible chip. Now, I may be wrong, but that's my thought on it. Now, in chapter 14, verses 1 to 13, we have spoken about uh, Mount Zion. And I show you a picture here. Um, it's one a possible place of Zion. Remember I mentioned that there is some controversy. This is exactly where it is. There's something like seven hills or seven mountains that make up the area of Jerusalem. And Mount Zion is one of them. And so I present to you a picture here. Um, we'll take it the next step. Here's an actual photograph showing what might be Mount Zion. and. <clears throat> the 144,000, we spoke of them last week. And these are the uh, 
the ones I believe is the same as from chapter 7. Now, it might be two different groups, but it just seems to me that it's the one and the same group. In chapter 7, they're pictured on uh, earth. In chapter 14 here, they're pictured with the Lord. And um, again, we can't be 100% sure, but (laughs) that's the excitement of these things, you know. And it always leaves a little elbow room for interpretation. And of course, they had harps, every one of them, and singing with joy and victory. And so it proves to us that we can be victorious. Remember, patience now, service and patience now, joy and victory and blessing later. That's the program. Then we looked in verses 6 and 7 about, um, oh yes, here we have a picture of the Lamb And here's a crowd. I don't think it's 144,000, but it kind of gives you an idea. That's all that was. Then we looked at verses 6 and 7 about the everlasting gospel and how an angel went through the earth proclaiming the everlasting gospel, which is fear God, glorify, and worship Him. That's the everlasting gospel. Then after that, in verse 8, we saw that the kingdom of the Antichrist, Babylon, had fallen. And also that if anyone worship the Antichrist, he's going to or she's going to end up in the lake of fire. Well, we come now to verses 14 to 20. And it talks about thrusting in the sickle. Thrusting in the sickle. Now, An interesting comparison to make in Scripture is to go back to Matthew chapter 13. And you'll find several several parables there. And the Lord Jesus is dealing with the very end times, the end of the tribulation, beginning of the millennial kingdom. And right at that time, he gives a couple, two, in fact, two uh, very noteworthy parables that, that... teach about the separation of the saved and the lost. And that's the the thrust, pardon the pun, the thrust of thrusting in the sickle here in verses 14 to 20. So back in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, you have the parable of the wheat and the weeds and how the Lord said, no, wait unto harvest and then separate them. And then also in that same chapter, verses 47 to 50, about a great net that's thrown into the sea and pulled pulled up and all kinds of things are in there. Some are kept, others are thrown away. And so you have those two parables to compare with. Now, I want to remind you folks also, once again, please, very important, is that this is part of the parenthetical section. It's not yet into the chronological blow-by-blow description. We're going to be getting into that later. Now, I'm going to be going on a couple weeks vacation, and so the other pastors are going to be looking after the Wednesday services. I'll I'll be here in spirit. I'll join in with you, uh, tuning in with the uh, Internet. But um, 
the, the sermon on Revelation after tonight will be a few weeks from now, okay? But um, just to remind you that this is parenthetical. So, let's see, what do we got here? We've got uh, a picture of some sickles. Uh, this was the type of sickle that they would use for harvesting grapes in particular. Sometimes also they would use something like this in harvesting wheat, although they did have a, a longer one. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute uh, of a man holding a big long one. It's another type of sickle. So the, uh, the sickle was this sharp blade and some sort of handle, and it enabled the harvester to go in and in one motion cut off a section of fruit. And that would be put in a basket and then another one and so on. So this is the idea of the sickle. Now, look please in verse 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Now some people think this may be an angel. Others think that it is Jesus Christ himself. Me, I think it's Jesus. So we read on, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, later on, when we get to chapter 19, we are going to see the Lord Jesus coming back from heaven to earth. And he has on a vesture dipped in blood. Now, I think that there's a parallel here between the Son of Man thrusting in his sickle and the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, coming back the end of the tribulation with a vesture that has blood on it. I think that there's a parallel there. Now, the vesture is an outer garment, in case you might not know what a, a vesture is. So here we have a, another artist's rendition, a picture showing one like unto the Son of Man with the uh, golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, this particular sickle here would have been used for um, the tall... Um, stalks of, of wheat and grain and they would thrust in the sickle with kind of a, a twisting motion. Um, in fact, in places of the world, they're, they're still doing it. It's thousands and thousands of years old, this method, but it's still effective. They still work it. Modern farms, of course, use great big harvesting equipment you know, diesel powered, driven by a man in an air-conditioned cabin. And that's how they they do their harvesting of their, their wheat. But back in Jesus' day, um, they had sickles. And so, thrust in the sickle. It makes us think and wonder about the time of earth. Because we're talking harvest time. Uh, be it... Um, Wheat, or uh, be it barley, be it grapes, uh, olives. There was a time of, of, of sowing, planting, sowing, 
and then a time of reaping. And that time of reaping would have been approximately May, something like that, through to maybe September. They'd have different crops appearing. And during this time, they'd be in there harvesting and harvesting. And of course, if they had a good harvest, they had a real party, a celebration. You know, I'm looking forward to our celebration with Jesus in heaven. It's going to happen. We're going to be with the king, folks. However, the world must go through this time of difficulty, this tribulation. It's unfortunate, but it's coming. It's going to happen. It's not very good news. It's bad news. But it has to happen in order for more people to come to know Christ and for Israel to be saved and for God to separate the saved from the lost at the end of the tribulation. And so here we have the world. Take a look at it. That's our world. And the world sure has changed, hasn't it? The climate has changed, geography's changed, politics change, the money has changed, all the economics, the religion changed. Everything is changing, 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 and not for the better. It's changing for the worse. And our world, I think, is ready for the Antichrist and ready for the tribulation. And then seven years after, that's when the Lord is going to thrust in the sickle. Um, we have a picture here of wheat. The grain, beautiful looking golden grain, needs to be harvested. And uh, we have this uh, uh, angel. Now it's pictured as an angel here. But he's got a sharp sickle in his hand. These are just artists' renditions. And we, we find them wherever we can and try and put them up to help illustrate. So I think personally that it's the Lord Jesus. This artist in this particular case thought it was an angel. And that's all right. You know, we're not going to argue that. The fact is, someone had a sickle and started to put it in. It was time. So the time we're talking here is at the end of the seven years. But remember, we're being told this in chapter 14 and it's within the parentheses. So it's all just commentary is what it is. And here I don't have to explain what these are. These are of course the grapes and the grapes are harvested with a smaller handheld kind of sickle. They're cut off in these huge bunches and then they're thrown into the, um, the wine press. Now let's get back here. Let's get back here to verse number 16. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, 
which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now we come to verse 19, and the angel thrust in his and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great press of the wrath of God. We have a picture here to show you of the uh, grape press. And it's still done this way in parts of the world. Of course, modern machinery has replaced the, the man's legs and feet. But this is how they would press the grapes. Um, you know, it's interesting, this grape press here. And I'd like to direct your attention to chapter 16. And I'd like you to look, please, at verse number uh, 12. We have here the second plague. We're going to be we're going to be getting to that. These are the seven last plagues, part of the seven last plagues in chapter 16. And we come to uh, verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east was might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is that he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now this is a reference to the winepress of the wrath of God. It's a, a picture. The winepress is picturing that time of Armageddon. And when God is going to gather the, the world's armies together. And it's going to be a winepress. Only it's going to be more like blood. And if you look at chapter 19. Chapter 19. Please look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a new name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I made reference to this earlier about the Lord Jesus. Um, there in chapter 14, the Son of Man with a sickle. Now here he is with a vesture dipped in blood. So I think that there's a parallel there. And his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, that with it, he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Well, it keeps on, it keeps on through these, these verses here. 
uh, right down to verse 20, in fact. And it talks about that, that very end time of the tribulation, this winepress of the wrath of God, and how that the nations were going to come together and Jesus Christ is going to come and with a sharp sword, they're going to die and the blood will flow. And so we have these two chapters and these passages in the two chapters to compare. And if you go back to chapter 14 now and verse 20, you see that it says, and the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's a lot of destruction. That's a lot of blood. A furlong is six hundred feet long. That's a furlong. A thousand and six hundred of these furlongs equals 182 miles. Now we don't know if those are linear miles or square miles. We don't know. There's, I suppose, many things we don't know. But it says here that the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridle. Now we got a picture here of a rider on a horse. Now, watch as the blood rises right there to the horse's bridle. Okay? Now, that's one way of interpreting it. That would require a lot of blood. Over 182 miles, be it linear or be it square miles, that would require a tremendous amount of blood. I tried to do a little bit of mathematics here. And uh, in one square mile, one square mile, seven million people can stand without touching each other. Now they're close, but they don't touch each other. Seven million. Seven million people. There's an average of five liters of blood in the average human. And so that's 35 million liters per square mile. So I didn't really take the math any further than that. But it seems to me that in order to get that much blood, you'd need hundreds of millions of people to get that kind of blood. Now, another suggestion is what if the horses weren't standing upright what if the horses had been killed and they're laying on their side? Then the bridle only, it only has to come up a few inches. That's another thought, I suppose. So there is a little bit of um, uh, interesting uh, speculation here as to what some of these things mean. But the overall picture, the overall idea of it is that it's going to be Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. Now, you can jot down, write these things down, grab a pen and paper, write these down, and you can look them up after, okay? But here's two or three uh, passages to look up on your own and compare it with what we've studied tonight. One is Revelation 19, verses 13 and 15. 
Now, we've looked at that passage previous. Revelation 19, verse 13 and 15. The next one is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah 63, verses 1 to 4. And the third one is Joel. Right near the end of the Old Testament. The book of Joel, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Now, you can look those passages up on your own and take a look at it. Meanwhile, let's get into the, uh, the Armageddon here. Now, I'm showing you a map. And on the map, near, near sort of the bottom left, you'll see Megiddo. You'll see that, Megiddo. Uh, you'll see the Jezreel Valley. You say, where is this? Well, if you look kind of to the, just to the right of center, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. If you know anything about the map of Israel, you know that's northern Israel. By the way, off to the left, you see Haifa. Uh, I've been there. I've been to Haifa. Um, I've been to uh, Megiddo. I've been to these places in Israel personally. I've been there. I've taken pictures of them. I didn't take this picture. This is sort of an artist's rendition. But it shows you um, the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo, and this is where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. Now, we're going to be dealing more with this later on. Here we have a, a larger picture of the land of Israel, and you can see the north and the south there, and the central area. Well, you just kind of go up from central, and again, you'll see that area there where um, you have Haifa, and then just, just down from that, you have uh, the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo, and that's where Armageddon, that is where the final world confrontation will happen, is right there. Now, there's a lot of the details that we're still fuzzy on as to, you know, how much blood, you know, and the horse's bridle and things like this. But at the end of the tribulation, it would appear that the land of Israel, at least that portion of it, is going to turn red with blood. And we're going to have a, a separation, if you will, of the lost and the saved, the wheat and the grapes. It's interesting, isn't it? The analogy. Interesting, very interesting, worthy of our study. You see why the book of Revelation is so exciting. Jesus is telling us what's going to be happening. Do you have any relatives that aren't saved? Do you have any friends that don't know the Savior? They may well end up in the tribulation. Oh, now is the time for salvation, isn't it? Now is the time when lost men and women should be concerned about their souls. Now is the time when saved men and women should be concerned about the lost souls of men. Back in 1894, two men, one was named Bert Shaddock, and the other was named Leander Pickett. And together they came up with the words and the music 
to a tremendous hymn which we sing in the church. The great judgment morning. And it depicts what was going to happen. And I'd like to read for you a few words of that hymn. I dreamed that the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel and he stood on the land and the sea and he swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. Folks, the time is short. Do we have days, weeks, months? Do we have years? Your guess is as good as mine. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when Jesus will appear in the clouds to take us home and the tribulation will begin. We're told to be ready at all times. Are you ready, my Christian friend? Should Jesus come tonight? Are you ready? Are you ready to face him and give account of your life? Can you with pride show him how you've served him and how you've sacrificed, how you've prayed, how you've studied the Bible, how you've sought to know his will? My Christian friends, if you're watching this and you're not born again, oh, my dear friend, won't you come to Jesus now before it's too late? Won't you throw down any weapons of rebellion and admit that what Jesus says is right, that you're a sinner and you're on your way to a Christless eternity? Oh, my lost friend, will you come to Jesus? And if we can be of any help to you, contact our office. Call our office and we'll do everything in our power to help you to find the Savior. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then it's our offering time. Folks, I want to be honest with you. On Wednesdays, we get a lot of people tuning in and watching. But very, very few give an offering on Wednesday. Now that's totally up to you and whatever you want to do. That's between you and God. But can I make an appeal? Can I encourage you, please? To give something to the Lord's work tonight. After we pray. Would you go to the donation page. And even make a small offering. It all helps. It is all good. And God rewards those who give. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you. For a coming Jesus. Thank you for a blessed Bible that shows us the way. Please increase our faith. Father, we'd like to honor you with our giving. Please help us to do that. Father, I pray you would lead and guide in the hearts of your people and encourage them to give by faith. Our Father, thank you for your blessings. Please continue to bless our service tonight as we go to prayer in just a little while. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to the donation page now together. Let's do that together and give as unto the Lord. God bless you as you give.